suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. We're gathered atop a small mound and we there's only three of us, so we're we're legal at the moment. <laughs> but the right things are going might be might be a problem. But anyway, uh, we're gonna look at the world and what's happening and and gosh. It's interesting times. So I, of course, am Trevor the Iron Fist. With me, as always, Paul the Twelfth Man. Greetings, Earthlings. Sometimes with us, um, occasionally, and on this occasion, uh, Craig Deep Throat. Welcome aboard. Thank you, Trevor. Great to be here. And Scott, of course, is in his bunker in regional Queensland, and he's busy doing stuff. I think they're moving towards telecommuting and whatnot, so he's busy. He might be able to Skype in later. We're not sure, but... Um, uh, no Scott for the moment, but you might chime in later. Well, gentlemen, anything interesting happened in the last week? Oh, maybe yeah. one or two things. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness, man. <clears throat> Coronavirus. COVID? COVID-19. COVID-19. That's the official name now, yes. Yeah. 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 We're going to talk about it. You're probably sick of you – know, you, you may be sick of hearing about it, but, hey, it deserves an episode, let's face it. So we'll yeah. we'll try and provide a different sort of slant on a few things and – and come up with some new angles to think about and see how we go. So um, uh, for those who don't know, Craig, our deep throat, is a retired GP. So a little bit of medical knowledge. Could be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Need to put a disclaimer in here. Don't take my advice over, yes. over the internet. <laughs> yes. So it's a long time since you were at uh, medical school, and in a little while we're going to ask you how we go about making a vaccine, but we'll come back to that. Okay. So for the moment, I thought what we should do is I've got the latest statistics from ABC on just the numbers. Dear listener, you've been hearing about this uh, coronavirus and, you know, what's the current count? What do you think it is? Is it 50, 100, 200? Uh, Tested positive in Australia, Yes. you mean? Mm. I would say about 60. Mm. It'd be, be higher than that, wouldn't it? Would be two hundred and fifty? Is that? Is it, I'm just oh, guessing. <laughs> I don't know. Today, seventeenth of March, uh, four hundred and forty-nine. Wow! Mm. So, a bit of an increase. It was mm. um, picked up a hundred or so in the last twenty-four hours. Mm. Right. If you had to guess, which state would have the most? Oh, I'd say New South Wales. Been Sydney. Mm. I would say New South. By Wales. a long way. So, New South Wales, uh, two hundred and ten cases. Next closest, Victoria, 94, and Queensland, 78. Mm-hmm. So a substantial amount in New South Wales. Um, then... They don't wash their hands down there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there goes our New South Wales listeners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, this is the interesting one, I think. Um, sources of infection. So how have these people, these 499, become infected and... The choices are that they basically came in from overseas with it. Um, they contracted it uh, locally, and we just don't know yet. So at the moment, they're saying thirty-two percent 
of the current cases were people who basically brought it in from overseas. And they know that about 11% were locally transmitted and the rest are under investigation, unknown, no data, whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> so not so much local. Like at the moment they're saying 11% out of 499, did we say? So roughly 50 mm-hmm. people have contracted it locally. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like for example... I was considering going to an event in a cinema on Thursday night. Me too. Yes. Same, and, same with Ben, I'm sure. Yes. And because my elderly 85-year-old mother lives with me, I thought there's no way I can go. But if you're looking at it um, in terms of only 50 people so far that we can say for sure have contracted it locally. But just the risks weren't worth it to me. I'm not going. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> so if you look at it purely from a risk point of view, there's mm. a heap of things in life that we do yes. which are more dangerous than that from the point of view of affecting yeah. us directly. Yeah. But I guess the, the difference here is you can inadvertently affect a lot of people like your elderly mother. Yes. My wife is a, risk, is a person at risk, so I've got to think mm. about her. Mm. Um, so that's the difference, isn't it? It's not just you that's affected. It's yes. others and also people you don't even know. Yes. Yeah. 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 So um, and I figure that in a few days' time it'll probably be banned anyway, so I've just got to be used to sitting at home and, and podcasting or whatever I'm going to be doing. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, the other interesting one here in the statistics is in terms of we said 32% came from uh, people bringing it in from overseas and – which country do you think is responsible for the most infections? It's got a bit of good, good old US of A, is it? Indeed it is, mm. yeah. So Coming into Australia, you mean? Yes. So people from the US bringing coronavirus in, um, 28 mm. we've got as a count at the moment. Next is Italy on 18, China 15, because they were stopped early, mm. Iran 14, UK 10, Philippines 8, the Diamond Princess ship, uh, seven, uh, Singapore, six, Dubai, six, then it goes on down, Spain, France, Europe, Switzerland, South Korea, all the way down to somebody from Cuba, Austria, Abu Dhabi, one inch. So there we go. That's interesting. The US, they're responsible for bringing in the most. I've got feelings about the US that I think they're heading for a complete disaster in that country. You're not alone, Trevor. Mm. And um, commentators in the US and itself are saying exactly that. They're saying that the US government is so far behind getting a handle on this mm. and they have tested so few people that they are going to see an explosion of positive tests once they actually get their act yeah, if they've not done much testing, then they can't know no. how many people out there are actually infected mm. because some mm. people think they've just got a plain cold. Like, sure. yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah, could so, be a complete disaster. Indeed. I think I had a statistic here. Um, let me see. Um, I'll come back to it later. I've got Trump, it somewhere in terms of the Trump the administration's been in deep denial, hasn't mm. it? Yeah. Mm. So uh, we'll come back to the USA, but they are in a huge amount of trouble. So um, our fearless leader, Scott Morrison, um, I've said this before in relation to the the fires. 
like normally disasters are good for politicians mm-hmm. because you get to appear authoritative, you can dish out some money, ex- yep. emergency money, and and give the impression of being in charge, provided you're not seen as being responsible for the disaster. <laughs> that was his problem with the bushfires, that people yeah. said, well, you know, this is caused by extreme weather and you're not doing anything about it. So mm-hmm. he, um, uh, he failed on that one because he was held responsible for the bushfires. Failed big time yeah. on that one. On this one with the coronavirus, he's not seen as responsible, fair enough, for, for it occurring. Um, and interesting that the, the, the big mistake he's made so far would be where he said, right, we've got to stop all major sporting events, any congregations over 500, no more. He said that on Friday and he said, and we'll start that on Monday. <laughs> yes. Very conveniently. Yeah, it's not too bright, is he? <laughs> and people saw through that immediately, of course. And. You know, he's playing this daggy dad, footy dad persona so much that he thinks he's still got to run with it. And, of course, I'll be watching my sharkies on the weekend. Mm. Like, he's running that <clears throat> facade. He's trying to live up to it. So, mm. um, Also on that Friday, he made the big mistake, which was the photo thing of him shaking hands with um, Gladys. Was it um, in New South yeah, Wales? Gladys Berejiklian. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And... That was played over and over again on the ABC. I don't know about other channels. Um, And that was straight after all these lectures from uh, experts saying, don't shake hands, don't do all this. And there he is doing it. She obviously didn't want to do it. She was holding back. So that wasn't a good look. Yeah. I can sort of forgive that because I know it's a reflex. You just don't realise you're so used to doing it. Yeah, he's the Prime Minister. He should have been Mm. briefed about that. Yeah. Don't shake hands with anyone in that room. Yeah. The optics are very moved. important for someone mm. in his position. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So um, uh, our friend Alison, who's been on the program and yeah, often Alison. is in the chat room, she might even be there now. Mm. I don't know if you are, Alison. But Alison had some instant fame because she was the one who spotted that ah. about the Hillsong Conference. So, so she Alison, was the one, was she? Yeah, yeah. so she Good did a Alison. tweet saying, um, massive Hillsong Conference over two weeks, finishing this weekend in Sydney. Theme is KISS. Tens of thousands of people from all over the world tightly packed in. Millions of tax-free dollars for our PM's best friend and mentor. No wonder there is no shutdown of mass gatherings yet. Mm. <laughs> if yeah. you're a suspicious person, and I, I don't think I'm that. Are yeah. you, Trevor? Yes. <laughs> well spotted, Alison. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well done, Alison. Yeah. So she had her 15 minutes of frame, a fame yeah. because that got retweeted around uh, and uh, the shovel and other people had great fun with that. So. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think that it would not surprise me if there's something to that. He wonder what's your sharkies. He yeah. knew he's made a big event. I am um, suspicious. Yeah. Mm. Having said all that, so uh, as I said, politicians <coughs> love a disaster. Um, we've just had the disastrous sports rorts affair mm. where we couldn't think of a more corrupt bunch of dealings going on. Despite mm. all that, his poll numbers, he's up 3%. Are oh, you kidding? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Scotty from marketing has his focus groups and they're telling him to do these things. We'll have to call him uh, Teflon, Scotty, sir. Yeah. yeah, like all of that sports root stuff yeah. and and his coronavirus looks authoritative, mm. 3% up. There we go. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. 
Right. Makes you cynical about politics. It, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, oh, dear. Right. Uh, um, of course, when there was the last financial crisis, the Rudd government poured a huge amount of money into a stimulus, mm. kept Australia out of recession. Uh, Wayne Swan was declared treasurer or finance minister of the year. Mm-hmm. Virtually every economist around the planet said, well done. With the exception of the Australian opposition. That's right. <laughs> he said that was a complete waste of money. You should never have done it. It's no point in doing a stimulus package. Faced with the coronavirus, what's Scott Morrison do? Stimulus package. Yeah. Like, so. Um, in other words, the sensible thing. Yes, mm. yes. But, uh, you know, they've spent the last 10 years. Um, but saying, it's not like the one that Rudd did. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> According to. Yeah. Her Majesty's Government. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of it is going to business. So let's look at uh, the incentives that they've got here. So a total of $17 billion for the stimulus package and who's going to get some money? And um, what we've got is a one-off $750 payment aimed at um, people on, people on low incomes. Yeah. So people on New Start, those who've got a senior's health card, Families receiving family tax benefits. So um, people getting some sort of government assistance already will get $750. Great. They couldn't make it the 900 like <laughs> like Rudd? You know, they had to... Yeah. It, we, it would be too similar then. Yeah. People would make comparisons. Well, they'll yeah. say, well, we did less than Rudd or something, you know, some sort of... I but the know. number couldn't be too similar. You know? uh, uh, yeah. Actually, yeah. apparently on the screen I've got you down as Frank, but you are Craig. Sorry, it's left over from last week. Um, I respond to lots of names. Yeah. So the rest of it is really going to businesses. Yes. So, and, you know, part of it is is allowing businesses to speed up their depreciation if they're going to buy some stuff. But honestly, any business right now it's just said, we're not buying anything unless yeah. we really, really, really have to, and then we're still not going to buy it. Like yep. if somebody walked in, oh, but the government's going to give us a quick write-down on no. tax, we're going to go, who's worried about tax at the moment? No. Like, that, that's, that's not going to right. incentivise anybody and to buy anything. Everybody fact, will be putting off yeah. uh, ines- unessential purchases, yes. including businesses, as yes. you say. Yeah. So that's meaningless, isn't it? Yeah. What about pink bats? That was sort of going to business, wasn't it? Well, um, yeah, but basically it required building of infrastructure, which required construction. Insulating people's roofs. Yeah, well, insulating required employing people to do it Mm -hmm. and there was also school halls and things were part of all that. So it had a bit of economic stimulus, didn't it? But it was, here's some money... And business has to build something and mm. use it, whereas the other part of this package is here's some money for business. We don't really know that you're going to pass that on in the sense of you're of, going to keep employing of people because stuff, yeah. of it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So um, so he's, he's actually going to give the money to businesses, but yes. you said it was for tax write-offs and things? Well, part of it is for oh, accelerating your depreciation oh, okay. if you buy something. Um, so if people don't buy something, they won't get it? No, there are other parts to it where you might get something. So, for example, some 
you know, people might be structured where they're a little mum and dad business and uh, they've got a company and the company trades and they pay themselves a wage out of it. Well, you know, they might be earning 100 grand each or something like that, um, but they're just a mum and dad business. Uh, they'll get some money out of this. Mm-hmm. So they'll get a minimum of $2,000 and possibly more depending on how much they pay. So, um, so yeah, somebody who isn't on a government allowance of some sort gets nothing, but if you've structured your affairs, fortunately that you're um, a mum and dad business and you're trading under a company and paying yourself a wage out of the company, you'll get something. So I can yeah. sort of be a bit sympathetic mm. to their, um, their goal of saving business and small business in particular um, because they are big employers. Uh, employer, yeah. yeah of, Except you know. with the Rudd stimulus, they gave the money to the people and said go and spend it. Like, mm. And it did work. Mm. Like I was involved in uh, – I was at a trade fair – uh, shortly afterwards, and people rolled in with cash. These ladies came in and just spent up big like it did. People went, $1,000, that's great. Mm. I'm, I'm mm. going to go out and spend it. Yeah. Uh, and it and, resulted in retail uh, workers yeah. keeping their jobs. So I'd, I'd prefer as much as possible that the money went to the people rather than to the business, which is supposed to then get to the people. Mm. Um, yeah. In because it gets in, to the business of anyway when they sell stuff. Yeah. But how much of this, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Because then if you wanted to buy something, you could buy it. Yes. But presently, there's a lot of our stuff comes from overseas. Yeah. And you won't have the opportunity to buy that if overseas is shutting down as well. Mm. So it's a little bit different from that point of view. So in a sense, this government has to you know, go both sides of the ledger on this in terms of making sure people have money to buy simple things mm. uh, in Australia, so which is what they've done with their $750. Mm. Um, but also you need to keep that infrastructure going in terms of people infrastructure, in terms of having businesses and, and people being employed. So, mm. yeah, I think it's a little bit different. Mm. This one's different because uh, people are really looking ahead over the next few months and going... I'm not doing anything. Yeah. I, I, if, if you gave them $900 in this environment, I reckon people, when they get their $750, yeah. there's a good chance, unlike with the, G, the global financial crisis, I reckon there's a good chance on this one where people will say, I might need that. Yeah. Well, that's the other this. difference with this. You know, mm. We can do mathematical modelling mm. and that mm. infectious disease epidemiologists mm. are doing that and say, well, this is how long it's going to last. They can be pretty damn accurate. And what's going to happen? Mm. So you're right in the sense that people can go, well, this is how long it's going to go. Well, last time with that, you, you know, you don't know when's the bottom of the market. Is it going to just bounce back straight away? Yeah. What's going to happen? So, yeah. But I think yeah. people looked at the global financial crisis to some extent and thought, well, that's a problem for bankers. Um, like they could sense that the world was going to keep turning. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now they're looking at this crisis and going, because this, this is, is about really serious. Dying. Yeah. You know, this is about Shutting, trying to yeah. stop people yeah. dying. Whereas the Global financial crisis was just our, everyone was like, well, business is down a bit, but it'll come back, and they carried on. Oh, you're yeah. right. We're potentially looking at a lot of people dying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, who knows where this is going to end up? It, it is going to be. Do you want to make a, a guesstimate uh, for, the, for the worst part of it? Three months, six months, a year? What do you think? Um, I 
I've, I'm thinking two years in a sense. Um, I know people are banding around nine, six months or nine months or something like that, but when you look at the Spanish flu, how that went around the world twice mm. and there was like two epidemics in a sense, um, it could be that, that long. Mm. So, uh, and, and each time it passes by, there's going to be people dying and there's people dying that whole time. Sure, there'll be peaks where more people die, like wintertime and that, but, um, yeah. The world was a lot less well-equipped to deal with it a hundred years ago. Yeah. So will that help us to shorten it? In some ways, we're back a little bit to what it was like in, in 1918 in that we don't have a vaccine, we don't have any medicines that will cure the coronavirus as of now. Um, so a lot of it comes back to things that they were doing in some in some sense in terms of isolation and that. Mm. I don't think they were doing it as well. And the other thing that we are doing well, and particularly in Australia, because I think we have quite a bit of experience with this, is is um, tracing people who have been exposed yeah. and doing a ring-type effect around them to contain yeah. the virus. And I think we do that really well, and we've had plenty of practice with diseases like measles and that, which is actually more infectious, I think, than the coronavirus, oh. and we contain it. Mind you, it's a little bit easier because we actually have a vaccine where we can ring-vaccinate um, members around that particular case. So... I think we, we do that well in Australia, and, and this might save Scotty because mm. <laughs> he's got people out there in the public health system who know their job and can do their job really well if he lets them do their thing. Mm. So I think it's a little bit different, and, um, and also we have more knowledge about yeah. the viruses. We have better skills at um, scientific studies of so it. So surely we should be a little more optimistic than we might have been 100 years ago. Yeah, I think so, but... We also, we're doing, in a sense, we're doing clinical trials on in the actual circumstances at the moment, and we can see that from country to country, like China compared to what the USA is, you know, heading towards and um, Italy compared to um, South Korea. And, and we're doing all these little mini studies that I'm sure the epidemiologists are out there, just they're, they're in Christmas time. They're, they're just, <laughs> it's all coming in and they're... Mm-hmm. One way they're going, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible. And inside they're going, oh, this is my big chance. <laughs> You're right. I've got so much data for a PhD here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. There was one Australian researcher who was uh, publicly saying that if, if the government gives his organisation $1 million, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, mm-hmm. he would hire the people necessary to crunch data, which he said is already available, which will help uh, understand the... You know, yeah. The statistics of it all, and we need to do that stuff. We need mm. to do that stuff so we're prepared for next time as well. It's you know we've got to think and think ahead mm-hmm. as well. Xanthi in the chat room says a person has contracted corona twice, which may complicate things until a vaccine saves Whoa. the day. So I hadn't heard yeah, that. Yeah, I hadn't heard case, that before. That's, that's happened. That's a lot. scary I had stuff. Heard that. Mm. Yeah. That. Okay. Um, right. Right. That to be mutated. confirmed on that one. Yeah. Um, uh, well, um, deep throat. If I wanted to make a vaccine here yeah. in the leafy western suburbs of Brisbane, and I had, a, you know, I've got a, it's not a like Bunsen a burner, room. <laughs> I've got a Bunsen burner and a few other flasks. Yes. How yes. do I go about making a vaccine? What's well, what's the trick here? Can't be that hard. Um. Yeah. Some sometimes it's a little bit easy, like the, you know yeah. the first vaccines with with smallpox and that. Yeah, where they tell used, that story. Well, the smallpox story is that um, they found that uh, I think it was something to do with. Um, Cowpox. Cowpox and, uh, and the, the, the maids who were milking the cows got cowpox 
and they found that they were resistant to it. And um, to smallpox, to, and to smallpox, why is that the and case? then yeah, yeah. So there was enough crossover in terms of the antigenicity of the cowpox virus to mm. cause uh, immune, the, the the person's own uh, adaptive immune system tend to recognise smallpox and attack the smallpox virus, so it would be killed off. Um, and I think it was, was it Jenner. I'm trying to think of who the, the doctor Jenner was or? who who maybe got the wrong guy who grabbed a small kid and vaccinated there with the cowpox thing, right? And um, and then and, and, and he solved it. So it was as easy as that. And, and and did they just basically inject people with cowpox? Did, they didn't try and alter it into something else, or they just no, that's all they no. had. So that's what they so used. So that's and, it can be as simple yeah. as that, and that's yeah. your home brew. You know, you could right. do that right now. Yes. Don't know how with this one. This is a virus. Yeah, this yeah. is a bit more of a more difficult. Don't virus. get any ideas, Trevor. <laughs> While we're here. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, vaccine is from vac, cow, because of the cow pox vaccine. So must be vac means cow in a different language. Is okay. that what you're saying, Joe? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, so, okay, I want to make right. a vaccine. Okay, so there are several different types of vaccines and one and that one we just talked about is an attenuate, is a, is a type of attenuated uh, um, organism. So that's a live vaccine. And when the examples we've got at the moment are measles, mumps and rubella, which are live vaccines, but they're attenuated to the point that means they've been growing over and over in the laboratory until they can't cause the actual illness, the severity of the illness. Yep. But they do cause some response in the body because they do infect the person, yep. um, but so mild that the person usually doesn't get any symptoms at all or may get slightly yep. uh, uh, some symptoms. Yep. So that's that type of um, uh, one, and it's been extremely successful for measles, mumps, and rubella. Yep. Um, the other one, we've, you know, the classic one we get every year is the uh, is the flu shot, the influenza shot. So how that works is that they use well, there's actually quite a few different vaccines out as I understand, but the classic way is they inoculate eggs, and the virus grows in the eggs. Then they kill the virus by heat or chemicals or some sort of method, radiation or something like that. So that it, it becomes non uh, non infective, and then they inject that, pro, you know, they they purify it and all that, and then they inject that in, and that stimulates the body to cause an immune response to parts of the virus that are left over, uh, and that's how it makes the okay. immune system with that leftover damaged virus, leftover damaged virus, and your that's immune been incubated. system recognizes, and the immune system recognizes that, and when the real thing comes along, it goes aha, and um, and it, and it attacks it. Right. Um, so, and there's, I'm just trying to think of the other ways of doing a, a um, the, the other one, the other type, which doesn't apply in this one, is the toxoid type vaccin- vaccines, which are tetanus and diphtheria, the main one. So tetanus and diphtheria usually kills you by the bacteria causing toxins that then attack the nervous system. Uh, so what they do there is they take the toxoid, they do the same process of, deactivating the toxoid so it's not dangerous and then the, inject that in and then the body recognises recognizes that. And right. so when the real toxoid, toxin um, right. gets uh, you know, disseminated in the body, the body attacks that. So, and they're very effective because when's the last time you heard of tetanus or diphtheria? Right. Only yeah, in people well, who haven't been vaccinated. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, a syringe, an egg, and a, and a sample of coronavirus yes. and cook it up. There's uh, one get the problem. Damaged, There's yeah. one problem is that, you know, the coronaviruses belong to that 
group. They're not the same ones, like there's rhinoviruses mm. and other ones that cause mm. the common cold, and the coronavirus is in that group. Mm. And we have been struggling to try and get a vaccine for that for a long time, so it's clearly not as easy. Right. However, there are other ways of doing vaccines that have come online, and the classic yes. one is the one that our, our great scientist, Peter Doherty, um, who mm. discovered the vaccine for cervical cancer. Yes. So he's, he worked on that one, and that one's a... Um, let me get this straight. It's a subunit type vaccine, which means he has found a molecule of some sort on the virus, the mm-hmm. um, papilloma virus, yep. and he has taken that that subunit and used that as the um, as the substance to inject to make the right. to cause the. Because, the because it's unique. It's unique it's to a that unique thing. virus. So it'll be in a your protein body. or yep. a glyco, yep. a glycopeptide, or something like that that would do that. So there's all these other tricks that are occurring, and they're yes. very, very clever. So there's yes. quite a few different ways of doing this now, and yes. I'm way outside of my expertise here on this. Oh, no, this is all a, coming from my head. You've enlightened, <laughs> you've enlightened me, deep throat. That's but good. Can can I pick up on something mm. too? That just to explain to dear mm. listeners out there that. Mm. We have two immune systems in us. We have an innate immunity that deals with most things. It's a, it's a system where we've got white blood cells. We have uh, various molecules and chemicals in, in systems in our body. So if something comes in our body, our body goes, hey, you know, you're not supposed to be here, and it will just attack it. It doesn't care. It's not specific. It won't specifically uh, uh, attack something that's recognised before, it'll just attack anything that comes in. Right. And, we, and that's very important in our gut and in our respiratory system and our mucous membranes. Yep. But the other system we have, which is what we've been talking about, is the adaptive immune system, which is the one that we as vertebrates have developed through evolution. And that's a very specific one. That's like you're going from cluster bombs with your innate system to yes. cruise missiles that <laughs> right. are very targeted. Right. And so that's what we've been talking about with the vaccines. Right, yeah. Yeah. right. Very good. Okay. Wheat Watcher says the eggs must be fertilised eggs, unlike normal eggs we buy in stores. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get some fertilised ones, Wheat Watcher. And Joe says it was Latin. So um, vac must be Latin for cow and vaccine oh, yeah. comes um, from Yeah, from, I, I think the uh, cowpox is a vaccinia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the name of the organism. I think that's where the name vaccine comes from or something like yeah. that. I'm really scraping the barrel of my in fact, studies from medical school here. Yes. <laughs> the Spanish word for cow is something similar, isn't it? Uh, yeah, because I... Yes, it does sound familiar. People in my, mm. in my work have mm. yes. mentioned that. Thank you, Joe. Right. Um, okay. Um, just stock market quickly. Last week I was, I was not very sympathetic for you, 12th man. I was... Devastated. And at that time, I think I said, look, really the market is back where it was two years ago. What are you worried about? Because you might well buy a house. Yeah, that and, was my and, plan. And it would be potentially the same value two years later. Like that happens. Yeah. I mean, I remember back in the 90s where we bought a house and eight years later we were lucky to get the same price for it. Like mm. property was mm. really yeah, um, was slack. Yeah. 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 Anyway. The, the market has dropped since last week substantially. And when I looked at it this morning, um, it was at um, about 5,000, the S&P, ASX 200. And you could go back to 31st of May 2006 and it was at 5,000. 
like it seems to me that the market is where it was back in 2006. 14 years later, here we are. Like that's bad. Well, it depends what you are. If you're all cashed up, then yeah. it's a buying opportunity. <laughs> Potentially, but maybe in another 14 years it might still be there. That's right. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be devastating for a lot of people who are affected by the market. I guess that's a lot of um, superannuation people at various stages of that path that they're following through their life. And uh, I know myself, my super has been affected and... Um, I, I was just saying to before that my mood varies depending on what the stock market. So my mood is following exactly the stock market at the moment. So I'm, I'm up a little bit because it's up three percent today, but right. yesterday it was way down. So yeah, right. yeah. Well, on the bright side, there'll be nothing to buy anyway with your superannuation <laughs> yes. money. So who knows? Right. Um, How do you think it'll affect the real estate market? I think what will happen is a lot of casual staff will have no income. They have to move back home with their mum and dad. Um, so there'll be a lot of vacant rental properties. People will have to um, struggle to find tenants. And, and people the will prices struggle will, to find buyers, do you Prices of rental properties, yeah, because they'll struggle to find tenants who can pay. Or it'll just be people who have a lot of spare cash accumulated mm. who will mm. buy up a lot of properties, you know, mm. as a... Mm. An investment on the future. Yeah, but really... it's also going to be a bit spotty too because mm. if you're in a tourist area and you have mm. rental mm. Um, properties tourists. in that, then you're in big strife because the market's going to really fall out there, I would have thought. But yes. here am I now talking about <laughs> real estate, another yeah. area. And no a lot of people in. have been using Airbnb as a sort of alternative to the mm-hmm. rental market and that's not going to work mm-hmm. now. Uh, For a while. So right? I think the property market will have to take a dive. Don't take financial advice from a podcast, dear listener, no. but just common not sense Not from a retired doctor, definitely yeah, don't. Common sense says... Uh, property would have to go down, surely, if mm. people don't have money mm. to pay rent. Anyway, um, next, what have we got? Uh, so last time when we had a we had a crisis, um, at that time we had China. So China was still buying up big from us, so we were able to sell a lot of stuff to China and that helped uh, the rest of our economy. Well, that's not happening. I don't know. What are the figures that you just mentioned in China? Uh, in terms of... The coronavirus. Um, it really doesn't matter how many um, people have it. It's just that China needs um, stuff so that they can make stuff for America. And America's not going to be buying That's anything. Because yeah. just... We'll move on to it soon, but Americans are going to be killing each other okay. shortly. So, so, so they've the, lost the Chinese market. won't have anywhere to sell to. Indeed. Mm. And so they won't be buying from us mm. like they were at the last financial crisis. Mm. And also central banks were able to drop the cash rates and things like that. And well, we're at rock bottom on that so now. nowhere to go with So that. no room to move there. Uh, tourism was doing okay back then. It's crashed now. Mm. Um there's a lot of um, issues. That the Chinese leadership mm. would be pretty concerned as well because they need to get people back to work producing mm. stuff. But then, as you say, if there's no market to sell it to, mm. they're going to have a lot of unemployed people as well, which yes. will 
mm. undermine confidence in the Chinese government. Mm. And could Although well. but, but these days in China, the economy has moved a little bit from just purely producing for other people to having an internal correct um, that's um, more of an economic system, point. which yes. hopefully is for them is mm. a bit more robust now, and therefore they will protect them a little bit. Yeah. Since they've done actually a great job at containing coronavirus. Yeah, but part of that their trick has been they've had to convince Chinese to be consumers because mm. their natural inclination was to save. Mm. And they're going to have a hard time convincing them to be consumers yeah. now. Like yeah, they'll naturally so. be hoarding yeah. as you would in this situation. Yeah. So, True. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, so a lot of people are going to be telecommuting. A lot of arrangements being yes. made for people to work from home. Yes. Dear listener, I've been basically working from home mostly for the last 20 years. And I can tell you it's fantastic. <laughs> You're going to love it. Yeah. Uh, my son. My son's yeah. just... Started working from home. Right. Yeah. So, as in response to this, yeah, because of the coronavirus, he right. just doesn't go to work now. He just right. does it all from home. Can you say what he does? Yeah, he um, um, he works in a, as a financial chief of a financial analyst in a major corporation, but I won't say which corporation. Right. Okay. Mm. So, yeah. um, so he's very, quite high up. Right. But he can do everything he does in there from home. Actually, he yes. said to me a year or so ago, I could do all this from home, but yes. he preferred to go into the, to the office, but now yes. he's doing it from home. Yes. Mm. I think people are going to find they really like it. Mm. And when this dust eventually settles in a year or two or whatever it is, people are going to say, well, as part of a contract, I want to work from home for a couple mm. of days. Um, I know a lot of businesses, uh, I've got a friend at the university where they had people asking to work from home and the university said, no, you can't because we need you here, you wouldn't be able to do your job. Of course, now they're saying to that same pe- <laughs> those same people, uh, you can go and work from home now. Yeah, and so yeah. they're going to turn around and go, well, I did it during the yeah. corona crisis, uh, I should be able to do it now. So we yeah. might see some quite substantial social changes yes. as an outcome of this like in, in lots of unexpected ways. I think if there's a silver mm. lining to this whole crisis, it will be a change in the way people perceive work and leisure and their time. People will suddenly realise they normally spend an hour commuting in the morning and an hour in the afternoon that they're not doing and they're in the mm. garden or they're doing other things and they're just going to realise what what people like me have been getting away are with we, for the last Are we going time? to see a sort of a, a social divide here, the ones who can work at home mm. and the ones who can't? The ones Indeed. who can work at home are going to save on all sorts of things like being able to work from place where rental's cheap or yep. property prices are cheap, yep. don't have to pay any sort of um, commuting costs and that. Yeah. So we're going to see this divide between the group who have to go out and do this sort of thing and some of those are going to be in the low socioeconomic group that have to actually be on site cleaning out bins or whatever they do, or, you know, yeah, and, and yes. coals and woolies pushing If you're flipping trolleys. hamburgers, uh, then you're going to be required. Do that from yeah. Um, mm. You're right. Um, I think we should rename this the Silver Lining Podcast. Yeah, what do well, you that, think? that is a silver lining and, uh, you know, if if there's a sort of a shutdown and we're all really forced to stay and not allowed to move, there's going to be a baby boom <laughs> <laughs> in think? nine months. Well, yeah. remember, well, lots of listeners will be too young to remember, but we had uh, electricity strikes back in the 80s when J.B. Jockey Peterson was in charge and basically the CQEB linesmen were looking for extra pay and he said, we're not going to pay you the extra. So they went on strike. So and he we fired had, them, didn't he? Yeah, we had rolling blackouts um, uh, at the time and 
and there were many nights where just the lights went out mm, and were, um, yeah. and people, there was a baby boom <laughs> nine months later, like it was the case. And, you know, I think when people are sort of home and they're going, well, how about it? <laughs> no television tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. I think that could be on the cards. Okay. Yeah. There we go. You heard yeah. it first on the on the yeah. Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast. Yeah. Um, so... Um, Wheat Watcher was saying that there's been a run on desks and monitors at Officeworks over the past two days. I've heard that. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yep. A lot of people haven't uh, surprising. Uh, get there. Yep. And I reckon there would be on things like uh, webcams as well. So mm. I'm stocked up on those. Out <laughs> <laughs> uh, of the curve. Yeah. And, um, yes, wonder how NBN will survive this test, but... Fortunately, my NBN got connected a few months ago. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm not on the NBN yeah. yet. You know, the other thing I reckon is I reckon people did a lot of bullshit travelling where they would fly down to Sydney from another city for a, a meeting for a day and then fly back that really could have been done by mm, teleconference. Yeah, it's and, just one of the perks that they were massaging. Yeah, or yeah. just... Expectations and or just custom. habits. You know, people expect you to front up to yep. to show your level of commitment. Yep. You know, to the job or to the company or yep. whatever. And and the conferencing software, like the listener, something like Zoom, is really easy to use. Mm. And I reckon down the track, people will go. I'm not flying to Sydney for that one day meeting. Let's just do it by conference. And the boss might say, no, you're not flying, you're going to do it by Zoom too. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, cheaper. I, I think mm, well. I think people will appreciate their time. I think mm. people will stop flying to bullshit meetings that they could just do mm. by conference. Maybe yeah. things like, like my mother has a doctor's appointment on Thursday and mm. I said to them, look, we're not going in, mm. can we do it by telephone? And they said, sure, that'll be okay. Now, or, it's fairly routineish sort of thing, but ordinarily that was a real pain in the butt for me because I had to get there, find a park, get my mum up there. She walks at one mile an hour, so that'd be too fast for her. So she's like, it just mm. takes forever to do anything. Three hours of a day is gone. And, yeah. and well, we've seen that a little bit with the government mm. being forced to introduce an item number for GPs. Right. Um, to do this teleconferencing, yes, which previously was just for specialists and that too. So, right, you know, that's this is one of the unexpected things. So, is the government going to say, "Well, you can't do that anymore"? The GPs, the G- well, is the committee going to say, "Well, I really like that sort of service"? Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe things like mm. some of these things will will cling on afterwards. Mm. I think so. Um, like Wheat Watcher says you you don't get a nice steak and a bottle of wine with a video conference. <laughs> uh, we get beer. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Joe says we do lots of meetings interstate on our video conferencing system, but no bugger turns on their video because they're too shy. Yeah. So uh, when I called you, um, Deep Throat, yep. to, to invite you onto the oh, show, yes, I was on the you Zoom said, yet. oh, excuse me, Trevor, I can't talk to you. I'm on a Zoom conference. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll call you <laughs> yeah. back. So well, that's going to be the way of the future. Yeah, well, this is a sporting. That, that was a very a sporting, 20, it was a very 2020 conversation, I think. Yeah. yeah, so that was a sporting committee meeting. I'm on a sporting right. organisation committee meeting. Right. And we would meet face-to-face and have pizza and you know, drinks and that while well, yes. we did it. This time we said, well, it's the coronavirus, so we can't do it. Yes. And then we did it last night, well, last night, wasn't it? And uh, 
And um, it was really great. And everyone's saying, well, I don't really want to drive because sometimes you've got to drive a long, a long way to get yeah. to the meeting. So yeah. everyone's going, oh, this is great. Yes. <laughs> so I think that's all, from now on there will be no face-to-face. It'll be all done on the Zoom. Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, ZBell91 says economic crisis resulted in lower birth rates or at least in the 2008 recession it did. So, But ZBell91, they weren't forced to stay at home during that time. Mm. So that would be the difference. And I want more grandchildren, so get cracking, <laughs> said Bell91. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, I haven't mentioned the patrons in a long... Ah, oh, so, And I'm still not going to mention them because my computer crashed before we um, started this little session. Actually, I am going to get it up and start that somewhere so I can thank the patrons and I'll let that run in the background and hopefully get back to the patrons. Let me do that. Um, Let's just see. I'm looking at the photograph of Scott Morrison trying to take Gladys Berejiklian's hand and she's yeah. pulling it back <laughs> and sort of look, looking at him as if, are you serious? Right. Mm. He keeps making the same mistake over and over again. Mm. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, okay. Uh, let me just see. See what you think. Well, actually, I'm going to play a little bit of Jonathan Pye. I meant to play that at the beginning. Let's play some Jonathan Pye. The minute I heard that loads of stupid, reactionary, clueless fuckwits were stockpiling fucking bog roll, my first thought was stupid, reactionary, clueless fuckwits. And my second thought was must buy loo roll. Lots of it. We're sort of seeing the measure of people a bit here, aren't we? We're about to see the the best and the very worst of humanity under the microscope. Like, we're the ones in the Petri dish. As the consequences of this pandemic begin to sink in, that everyone is going to be affected in some way. It's not the disease we should be scared of, but it's what it exposes. How thin the veneer is, how little control we have, how inept and frail our governments are, how our entire so-called civilization is a facade. Well, it is going to expose us. It is going to expose us. It will be interesting to see how people react based on the fighting over toilet rolls in the supermarket aisles. That's not a good sign. You do see other signs of people who are giving away their toilet rolls (laughs) or other simple acts of kindness. But you seem to see a I could, lot I could more. tell you my story from oh, two hours ago. You're right, yes. I go, I go to Coles and to, to, pick, to do, do the shopping and um, <clears throat> there's lots of, lots of shelves which are, uh, haven't got anything there. But before I went, my wife said, well, we are actually running low on toilet paper. See if you can pick up a packet. <laughs> yep. so, so I'm going down the aisles and then I suddenly see people with a roll of toilet paper just heading out, okay? Right. So clearly the, the, the shelf there yeah. has got it. So I yes. make my way over there yeah. and I'm on one end of the, the aisle and right up the other end I can see all it's completely empty except for one pile of about 10 packets of, um, of toilet paper. And there's a, um, a young guy up there with his mid-20s and, the, and obviously his girlfriend and they're having an argument and she's saying, oh, we only need one, we only need one packet. And he's saying... Well, they're limiting to just one packet per person, but we're two people. We can get two packets. Right. But while they're arguing, this pile of about 10 is going <laughs> down. So I get there, I pick up my packet, and they're fast running out of an option of having two. <laughs> we, we've, we've been okay, but we keep, we're starting to get to the danger end. It was like, 
surely at some point this madness has to stop and it'll be restocked. And but well, that's but, what but, I thought too. But we taking a while. We sort of got to that that stage after two weeks. Yeah, it'll, it's it's taking a while. So mm. it will be interesting to see how society reacts. Are you feeling confident, Twelfth Man? About I'm society? quite deeply concerned uh, mm. for reasons which I explained b- before the podcast, but uh, mm. I'm not. Toilet paper is the least mm. of my worries. Right. So, But are we as a community going to come together I th- or are I think, we? I think we'll get through it, mm. but I think a lot of people are going to feel quite uh, significant financial impacts. Mm. Um, you know, into the you know medium, just any future. Yeah, you know, casual staff. Yes, like casual workers. Oh, are they're going to hurt people. badly. They are going yeah. to really cop it. Yeah, and really, at some point, pretty quickly, the government's yeah. going to have to somehow provide mm. some universal basic income because exactly. people won't mm. be able to pay rent. Yes, mm. you know, yep. a lot of casual workers. Yes, who don't have savings mm. will find themselves. Out, you know, out yeah. in the street if mm. the government doesn't step in and give them a help. They are. They yeah. are. It, 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 and the $750 is nothing no, it's to yeah. what's Pittance. going to be needed. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I saw this thing which was a meme that said, you know, panic buying makes no sense unless you are watching people panic buying and then maybe you need to. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's sorry. right. As yeah. Jonathan Pye just said. Mm. Mm. Was he, did he say that then, didn't he? Well, he said his second yeah. response was to Bog- buy bog roll. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, casuals, universal basic income. I, I mentioned last week about shock doctrine and Naomi Klein and how under the sort of neoliberal framework they used shocks as a means of getting in neoliberal policies. So if there was an earthquake or if there was a financial disaster, austerity measures or other things would be implemented while the community had no chance to... Um, fight back because they were in shock. That's the sort of thesis of Naomi Klein's book and she has, you know, lots of examples of it in play. And I'm thinking, and, and what part of her thesis was, was that these right-wing think tanks have these policies ready to go and when the shock happens, they hand them to government and say, here, use this. You need to do this austerity measure. You need to... Um, introduce charter schools in Louisiana, you need to, uh, all of these sort of Mm. right-wing neoliberal ideas that they've got in a wish list, they have a policy ready to go and hand to government um, while the system's in shock. And the coronavirus, I think, is a chance for left-wing shock doctrine because the left should be saying, see where we're in right now? We need a universal basic income. Mm. Here's the policy document, implement it now. Mm. Oh, I don't know how to pay for it. You need a wealth tax. Here, implement. Like, this is the time while the system is going to be facing a huge shock that if ever you're going to implement a universal basic income and may be funded by a wealth tax, now's your time. Great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I hope somebody on left is, is, is – I don't think the left's been ready to do it, though. No. I don't think they've been sitting there with their policies and I don't think, you know, unfortunately, you know, if there was a Labor government in place, you might have had a chance, mm. but – the Morrison mm-hmm. government won't won't come into it. Um, so, um, so yeah, shock doctrine um, to be, you know, for the left to take advantage of. This is the opportunity where some radical left-wing ideas, for example, you would think in America with all of their problems with their healthcare system that 
somewhere along the track, this disaster that's looming will convince even the most doubting American that they need universal health care. It would have to be a, a restructured health care system too because I, they haven't really managed very well at them. Well, they, the big thing about America is compared to other developed economies in terms of intensive care beds, is, which is what you're going to need here, mm. they have very few per whatever mm. um, head of population. And, um, and so they are going to see people dying in the corridors of hospitals or outside of hospitals. And in yeah. the parks. And the, yeah. In the, you know. So that might be the shock that's going to happen. You know, it's, mm. it's terrible that it, that it may come to that. But, it's, but um, in America also, the, the, another aspect of it is people who are poor and don't have money simply won't uh, front up to the hospitals to be tested mm. because yeah. they'll be deathly afraid of the potential cost. Yeah, They'll just say, I can't afford to go to hospital, I'm not going. And they'll probably just die in a park somewhere or in their, you know, low-budget accommodation. Just to provide um, devil's advocate to my previous thought, there was this meme I saw which said, the silver lining to coronavirus is that the US will fundamentally reassess its broken healthcare system, much the same way that Sandy Hook drove the US to really tackle gun control (laughs) and how the fiascos in Iraq and Afghanistan caused a rethink of the military-industrial complex. Oh, just when I was on a high. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's a salient point, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, It is. They're very resistant to uh, structural change. Yes. Um, Yeah. I I honestly think for America, like because I've been bagging bagging America for so long now and, and describing the statistics like the majority of Americans do not have $500 spare to attend an emergency to do with emergency stuff like they don't have they don't have the money they will not be able to buy food or medicine i think they're going to be pouring over the border into canada at some point yeah. in three or four or five months time i think they will actually yeah. have to riot to get fed yeah. because the government won't give them stuff yeah. well with the health system already up to this point you know if someone gets a major health problem or disaster for them mm. um, and they don't have any cover, then they lose everything. They go bankrupt. They lose mm. their house. They lose everything. Yes. So these might be people who are working, you know, doing yeah. all right for themselves. Yep. They get a setback with the health supplement, with which our country will, yep. Australia will cover that. Yep. But in America they don't. So there's right. already, we're already seeing disasters like that and, happen. And the costs of, of basic medical procedures like getting tested for coronavirus mm. are to us, astronomical. I mean, mm. we would we just assume, well, we'll go to our GP and, you know, it might, mm. might cost us a few hundred dollars, you know, mm. in, uh, in lab fees. In America, I saw a fee. I, I mean, I saw a figure of someone suggested it could be two, $3,000 mm. to anyone who fronted up to be tested for coronavirus. Mm. Potentially two to $3,000 uh, could be incurred. Yeah, well, so, people are not going to front up to get tested well, they're not. for something like people that. People who don't have health insurance are yeah, just going yeah. to say, you can't afford it. You think that will change soon. Well, I just have to test people. Well, but that maybe remains it's too late already. Mm. So things like hand sanitizer and other things, um, some characters have been buying up and trying to on-sell and um, make money from it. And um, just thinking of some uh, home remedies that might be available, deep throat, and yeah. a, 
Silver might be an option. Should I be rating the silver <laughs> cutlery silver. and and trying some silver? Do you want to explain to the dear listener what what what? I had a look online silver um, for, because of our conversation, conversation recently. I had a look man. online yeah. and the, I noticed all you know in the range where they had a, a large you know like five hundred mil bottle, and then they had the, all the five hundred mil bottles were out of stock. Right, so. Mm. People are already buying it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, what's the silver story? What do people use silver for? With well, do you want me to go back to what we was talking with talking with Joe and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, the twelfth yeah. man yeah. Uh, a week or two ago? Yeah, I, I don't know how it came up. I don't know if Paul can remember. I think Joe mentioned it. Didn't yeah, he? yeah, but you said yeah, a patient patients. Yeah, I had a patient come uh, into your your, your yeah. surgery and they would look bluish. Yeah, they would yeah. have a bluish tinge. Yeah, yeah. the the. the, the <laughs> I'll, I'll relate the story because it's a nice little story there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I had a medical student you know, in general practice. She was a first-year medical student because of the new system and um, very enthusiastic, great, great medical student, keen to do everything. And the patient came in that I hadn't seen for an awful long time, years, and um, straight away I knew what was going on. But I said to the medical student, well, do your thing, so presenting complaint, which was nothing to do with his skin. It was all yeah. an ankle or something. I don't even remember what it was. And yeah. she went through the history, the examination, everything like that, did a diagnosis and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And not once did she pick up the fact that this guy was blue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> blue. And, uh, and I said, to her, look, look, at the, look at his skin and do you notice anything? And, and suddenly it's starting to dawn on her. And then I just said to him, how long have you been taking the colloidal silver? Yep. <laughs> he said, how did you know I was taking colloidal <laughs> silver? And, that, and this is one of the things that we were picking up about is that um, there is a home remedy out there where people use um, silver in a very, very fine colloidal state to try and ward off all sorts of things from cancer to mm. infection to... That. And it goes back to ancient times, doesn't it, where the ancients actually were aware that silver had some sort of um, antiseptic yeah, was... or antibacterial properties and copper as well. Water was often stored in copper vessels for that yeah, reason. Yeah, I think the, the ancient Greeks knew mm. about it. That's right. And, and the, you know, we have this expression, born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Yes. <laughs> it literally goes back to the times where... Uh, I think in Italy. The Medici uh, family. That's right. Mm. And they used to use silver tableware because they believed it would be safer for them. Yes. And and silver does have some properties of killing bacteria. That's right. And it's used in modern times. It's it's well known that it's toxic to bacteria and organisms. That's right. It's woven into some cloth as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And um, it's commonly, I don't know if it's still doing because I've been out of medicine for a little while, but it was was used on burns to protect against infection Mm. on burns and that. So it's used in quite a few things. That's true. Even my my uh, late elderly mother, I I know that some bandages were recommended. Yeah, she I I don't know whether she burned herself or she she fell and scraped her skin badly on her leg, and you know it was something that needed yeah, time to heal. Sulfur, and yeah. she was recommended to use bandages, which were which silver impregnated. Impregnated, yeah, and exactly yeah. for that same reason. Mm. And there are medical devices which have coatings on them that orthopedics are doing and, and I'm actually a recipient of a titanium device in me that had a silver coating on it. Mm. Um, it's a little bit more high-tech in that it had, um, it's got molecular changes to the surface that are also just by physical uh, makeup 
prevent infection as well. So silver is still used commonly for that. But mm. the difference is that this is like a, a, an idea which has got some merit that's taken too far by yeah. people who have very little medical yeah. knowledge. And when you consume lots of silver, and your you skin can, goes blue. You can not consume yes. too much, can't mm. you? That's what happens when you go blue. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it can be toxic, can't it, if you consume it, too much? Silver actually has quite a low toxicity. So these okay. people who have this blue man syndrome, um, Aragoria, and uh, Agaria, I think it is, yeah, um, they don't, aren't particularly unwell, but it can lead to sort of neurotoxicity and liver toxicity and all these other things. So it's not good. Like, it's irreversible yeah. too, as far as I'm aware. You oh, stay blue. Oh, you know, you can't, it's very hard to get rid of right. silver out of, your, right. out of your system once it goes in. Right. So um, I don't, don't hold me, I don't know how long, but for an awful long time you're going to remain blue, oh. possibly so what, forever. What, it, what is it makes you go orange? Do you know? Yeah. Apart from carrot juice. Carrot juice. Yes. <laughs> so I was speculating with yes. a colleague and, today and, that and Donald make, Trump is consuming a lot and makeup. of yeah. and if you, if, and if you're jaundiced, but that's more yellow than orange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's my advice. So that's some advice we can give the poor people of America if you cannot get hold of any antibacterial. Stop grinding up your, start, your silver coinage. Start raiding the silver drawer. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. I do want to thank the patrons because they haven't been thanked for a long time. So... Um, Dear listener, if you're new to this program, we have a, um, a spot on Patreon where you can donate. A uh, dollar a show is all we ask. You can add a bit more if you like. And that helps to cover some expenses. And some people have been doing it an awful long time. I'm looking at a guy here, <laughs> Craig, who's been a patron since the 22nd of March 2017. Oh, my goodness. There you go. You're, you're coming up to, in five days' time, it'll be your your third anniversary. Wow. wow. There we go. So... Mm. Thank you, Craig, for being with us You're all welcome. this time. Um, so from the top, thank you, Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayne, Oyame, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robbie, Rod, Palais, Maddockman, Dom, Liam, Dave, Daniel, Harry, um, Peter, Captain Doomsday. I checked in with Captain Doomsday. He's... Um, Got the right name for the times, and he's got a room in my bunk in his bunker for me. Um, Wheat Watcher, Andy, Murray, Melinda, Adam, Professor, Doctor, Dentist, Will, Glenn, Craig, Matthew, Alexander, Paul, Tom, Tero, Camille, Kim, Donnie, Darko, Clinton, Gavin, Dire Straits, O Five, Tony, yet another Pinker fan, Graham, Mark, Citizen Six, and David, and we've got some people who don't like Patreon who provide money via PayPal. Dean Can was the beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Corinne, Mattman, David, Beverly, Ann, Damien from Redline Digital, and Wayne and Jared. So I tell you what, we've got so many names now and people doubling up. I'm going to start calling out um, surnames. So if you don't want your surname, send me a note or change it on Patreon. So next time I call them, um, we'll call out some surnames. So thank you to uh, the patrons. Much appreciated. Right. Um, we haven't mentioned the UK. Did you hear the crackpot scheme that the UK came up with to deal with this? No. Tell me. Herd immunity. Herd immunity. Yes. Please explain. Yes. <laughs> They've backtracked a little bit in the last day or so. Yes. Uh, they, have back, they have backtracked, mm. but um, uh, let me How just see. How are they going see. to get that? Um, on How Friday, do you think? <laughs> From Vox, it says here, on Friday, the UK government's chief science advisor, Sir Patrick Valance, said on BBC Radio 4 that one of the key things we need to do is build up some kind of herd immunity, 
so more people are immune to this disease and we reduce the transmission. And you're looking and so scratching he your he head. So people to get infected. Yes. As fast as possible. Yes. How else do you get herd immunity? <laughs> so, Sorry, I was, I was waiting for a, a sensible idea. Yes. So um, just reading from this other article, good sweet Lord, let me summarise. Britain leaders want the whole nation to get coronavirus because they don't understand basic science logical history. They think that everyone getting sick magically confers resistance on a nation. That's not how disease works. Herd immunity is what happens after large-scale vaccination as a viral infection subsides. It's not just letting a virus run rampant. This is the sort of idea that they would stuff. I mean, letting it run rampant would eventually result in a degree of herd immunity, wouldn't it? Well, it well, would, but after um, a lot of people had died. But, but after but, a lot, of, that's that's the punchline. After a lot of people have died, um, yeah. and that's a little bit unacceptable to me. Yeah, you would have thought so. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, well, what he says here is uh, in this article: the human species never never developed herd immunity to polio or smallpox or any virus really ever. Basically, we developed vaccines, mm. and then we got a yeah. herd immunity. But yeah, um, um, is it impossible yeah. for us to develop? Herd immunity to a virus? If, uh, <laughs> herd immunity, I, I guess, is a term which I can't quite technically nail down. Yes. But if they're talking about sort of having a natural resistance, then evolution does that for us. And I guess that's through our innate um, immune system. And also some flukes of nature. I'm just trying to think of one like um, uh, what's the one for malaria? Um, um, Sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell anemia. Mm. So, so there are some genetic twists in mm. isolated cases where yeah. we develop immunity in our set, subset of humanity yeah. that are resistant to certain diseases. Um, in fact, I was involved yes. in a, some research on, on one of those things. With, right. Because I, I was with Tibetans in altitude mm. and they didn't have much resistance against tuberculosis um, when they came down to low altitudes. So there is there's some... Things that happen, so they're very good yep. in high altitudes because mm. they're they're resistant to to low oxygen conditions. But that makes them, when in in low altitudes, yes. um, susceptible to tuberculosis. Yes. Well, we we've got but, some sort of innate immunity to tuberculosis through our genetic evolutionary state. Yes. But I don't think that's what they're talking about, is it? No, it just doesn't make sense at all. Mm. So um, mm. yeah, so, we we haven't we. I mean, it's been well publicised now. Those two towns in or cities in um, America, Pittsburgh was one of them, I forget the other one, where they just let that happen. They just let the disease run its course for, I forget what, whatever the disease was, and the other city um, took measures to flatten out that, that oh, curve. Oh, I see, yes. And so that's, that's, a, that's a brilliant experiment. I mean, it's, it's done in real time when people die. Right. But Pittsburgh or whichever what was the one that um, took the measures to control the curve so you didn't get that really spike yep. had much fewer deaths compared to the city that let it go, go wild. So right. The whole flattening the curve thing that they're talking about. That's now. the flattening the curve thing. It mm. saves lives. And, mm. and, and, and for the UK to say that, you know, people in yeah. power to say that, that's just madness. Yeah. It does sound like madness, yeah. but uh, I... I dare say that they are feeling heat from people who know better. Mm. I'm sure they must and have got an awful will... lot of phone calls, panic phone yes. calls, saying you can't do that. No, mm. and they'll be uh, mm. they'll be changing their tactics. Yeah. Mm. yeah, surely. The other thing that you could do if you're looking for some sort of immunity or you can't afford medicine would be to join Margaret Court's church. <laughs> uh, 
the Victory Life Church because yeah. she believes that the congregants will not contract the coronavirus because they are protected by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. The blood of Jesus. <laughs> you sound like yeah, one of them. So. Goodness sake. Yeah. And, and not only her church, a whole bunch of loony Christian churches and probably not only Christian uh, organisations are yes. peddling the similar nonsense. Yes. Uh, the Greek Orthodox churches yes, indeed. Uh, across the country will allow congregations of hundreds of people to sip wine from the same spoon That's during right. Mass because, quote, the holy cup cannot carry the disease. The priest literally walks from person to person with a, a container, a vessel of some sort, and a spoon, and as you say, they they distribute it from the same spoon to each person, one mm. after another. Mm. The Madness. the bad thing about that is it's not just going to affect them; they're going to go out after they catch the coronavirus and spread, and it to spread that people. out to other people. Yeah. So people who aren't of their faith and you know are would, going to die as well. Wouldn't you expect our government to have uh, regulations or laws in place where they could ban practices like that? Do you think they'll actually do it? Well, the, the, the banning groups of over 500, they'll probably be banning groups of over 50. But regardless of the size so, of the yeah, group, because yeah. they're telling us but, not to shake actual, hands, for goodness sake. But an sake. actual practice, good point. Yeah, this is a religious practice that's good going point. to lead to harm. Good point. Does yes. our government it's, step in and say this file, and will even it be not protected? allowing freedom Will it be of protected by these new uh, religious discrimination laws, this sort mm, of thing? Indeed. It's a really good question. And, yes. Um, this is a case of, oh, yes. I think it's got to, you've got to override religious freedom on that because it's a dangerous practice. Yes. But, but then they're not free. I haven't thought this through, but that's what it feel, seems to me on But then first, they won't be free. Yeah, so because it's they're not just harming themselves; they're harming the rest of us. That's the thing. That's mm. that's that that's the next step on. Yeah. That's mm. the problem for me. If they decide, you know, it's a free country. If they decide to do a dangerous practice, yes. whether it's jumping, doing rock climbing, or jumping Look, out of a plane, or doing that's something right. that's dangerous, that's their business. But if that freedom to believe to other crazy people, nonsense is one thing, yeah. but freedom to actually engage in actions or practices that harm others, that's yeah. quite another thing, isn't it? Is. It? Yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 Hey, just a couple of off-coronavirus sort of topics, mm-hmm. if we can. Anybody, if, do you want to add any other coronavirus ideas before we move oh, on? I'm done with it's coronavirus. Done with coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We've got that off our chest. <laughs> it feels better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just briefly. Um, we mentioned conscription we the did. other week yeah. and how Frank avoided conscription because he didn't tell the authorities that he oh, was yeah. over that 18 eligible. and eligible. Yes. Yeah. And um, I saw something. So in the US they still have a system where you have to tell the government when you've turned 18. And really? Yes. Yeah. It's called Selective Service System, SSS. It's an independent agency, the United States government, that maintains information on those potentially subject to military conscription, i.e. the draft. All male US citizens and male immigrant non-citizens between the ages of 18 and 26 are required by law to have registered within 30 days of their 18th birthday and must notify the Selective Service within 10 days of any changes to any information, such as change of address. 
and uh, it's a contingency mechanism for the possibility of conscription in the USA. What about oh, Australia? Did you uh, check it out? I, I don't Australia? think that's the well, case in Australia. In Australia, we, you have to register for um, elections, for voting. True. So it's compulsory. So we've got a system already set up that has True. tabs on people. The only the fault of it is that there are people who have never registered to vote and who never voted. Um, I have one in my family who's in his sixties and has never voted. So his sixties, and yeah. they wouldn't know your age if you're on the roll because yeah, you could be a eighty five year old man. So mm, they wouldn't yeah. necessarily know. I guess so. It's not that's not and, on the roll. And with a lot of names now, you wouldn't know whether they're male or female. Yeah. Um, a lot of them could be either way. And it's a well, you can't be system, sexist. It? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter anymore. Well, it is. Well, go well, go this one the... is sexist. The US one is just males. Yeah. And yes. in Australia, yeah. when mm. they used mm. it, it mm. was absolutely only for males, mm. wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there were females in the military, mm. but they were regular mm. army. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all the conscripts were male. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you apply for student loan or uh, various other government things, um, they'll check that you are mm. put your name on the register. Did you? What was your? Uh, oh, I was too was young. Your, I just missed young. out. There were so just out. guys just one or two years old, or well, maybe three. three years old. Was it three? Was it? Yeah, I, three I, years I, old. I remember being seventeen when uh, yeah. conscription was. Yeah, so there's people that I knew quite Australia. well who suddenly weren't mm. in the community anymore. They were off yeah. <laughs> doing yeah. their doing Only a few years thing. older than yeah. us. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. and the other one I just wanted to mention briefly was the rugby league players playing for Canterbury, who um, had sex with some... Schoolgirls. Schoolgirls, who were over 16, so Mm -hmm. So they're over the age of consent. And they had sex in their hotel room while they were um, away at a game. So one of the team rules was don't bring girls back to the hotel room and have sex with them. And they were literally girls. (laughs) Indeed. Not and just so females. these guys are up for um, sanctions from the club and that. Did you have any firm views on that one, 12th man? Uh, my view is if it was uh, consensual sex and the girls were over the age of consent, it's nobody's business but theirs. Right. Yep. <clears throat> I have a little bit of a problem with this because I don't know how old the footballers were, but if they so young, early what 20s. difference does early it make? They are young ones, yeah. youngish ones. So they yeah. were yeah. They're in their 20s. Yeah, they're early 20s. Yeah, so mm. I'm, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is two things. Mm. If there's quite an age difference, mm. um, I think that can make a difference in terms of power. Of power. And that's the second thing is the very thing that they're a powerful entity as a footballer, that they've got um, certain privileges in society that make them have to respect their position in that society in terms of others who haven't got that position of power mm. and probably those girls. So people should only mate on the basis of absolutely equal class, you know, social class and power relationships. No, I think this is a big difference. In ter- well, it, you know, we come across that all the time in terms of employers and employees where we have codes of conduct. I'm not saying make it illegal necessarily, but I'm saying there should be codes of conduct where it's recognised that there are these power differences. Yeah, but and, it's um, a free society, yeah. allegedly. Are we not free to have sex with people of our own choice? Yeah, but you've got a di- the difference between illegal, you know, which, which we've just already all agreed that it wasn't mm. illegal, 
as compared to codes of conduct. Yes, but how, how do you, we, how but, we, um, but on, on what basis is this so-called code of conduct? What is the, is it a moral thing? Um, and if so, on what basis? I would say it's an ethical thing. Yes, but yeah. where does that come from? What, what's the foundation of the judgment that it's appropriate found, or not appropriate? The foundation of that is to have a stable society and have some codes that allow us to function in a free society without duress on others in our society. Yeah, who decides, you know, who decides it, that it seems the, the backstory seems that these girls were the ones who were making who instigated the moves it, and were yes. instigators. Or at least okay. they were so very, they, they, they were, were not very willing. Violence, they were you know, very, very willing to be participants. They were quite active in the courtship process, yes. it seems. Yes. So it, and it, they, it gets they, back to the they, scandal around it, Bettina Art where she was saying teenage girls can be very sexually proactive and, it, and, and the wowsers in the community were saying, oh, no, you can't call schoolgirls sexually active. That is, you just can't say that. But the reality, as, mm. as we know, is that schoolgirls can be very sexually active. They can be. Yeah, they and, are. Uh, you know. Mm. Yeah. I've got a way of looking. To me, this, very looks, proactive. Like, this is just, looks like Falau all over again. And here's why. Because uh, basically my argument with, with Falau was Israel You've got some choices here. You love playing footy and you're good at it. <laughs> you can play park football for $50 a game and you can say and do whatever you like because we don't care. But he can't but, have sex. But, but we've got this really, really good contract for you where you're going to make a mozza. comes with a few conditions. I don't know, these crazy people, they've got certain standards where they don't want you saying nasty things about gay people and we're going to lose sponsorship. So... We've got all this sponsorship money that we could give you if you just keep your mouth shut about mm. gay people. If that's good and you like the sound of that, then here's the deal. If you don't like that, then you can play park rugby. But you see, the money is relying on you keeping your mouth shut. And with these footballers at Canterbury, the team rule is don't bring girls back to the hotel room after an away game. That's one of our rules because you know what? People find out, the sponsors get shirty, we lose money. So we've got this great offer for you. You can play rugby league. If you, don't, if you want really good money and travel the world and have a great time, mm. there's just a couple of conditions and one of them is you can't have sex with girls in your hotel room after the match. Mm. Go into a, somewhere else or do it somewhere else, but you just can't do it there. Look, somebody made but the if point. You, if you don't like that deal, mm. um, then... We won't be able to get the money to pay you this. So if you don't like that deal, you'll have to play park football. Somebody like to me, made that, the point. that seems a fair contractual well, I, arrangement. I, I don't, don't agree. like it, and okay. I I think if we're going to live in a free, a liberal society, people should be free to make their their own choices. I about gave them a choice. That was all about choice. No, you're not giving them a I choice. I was giving you're them a limiting choice. their choice. Now, oh, as you yourself I said, Trevor, the girls were voluntary participants in this. Okay. Yes. They were in no way coerced into this sort of activity. Yes. Okay. I think it's a return of of the wowsers of the ninth, you know, early twentieth century, trying to tell us who and when and how we should be having sex with others. Now, these girls clearly were there because they wanted to be there. Um, but what about the code of conduct? Yeah, I think it's a it's an artificial code of conduct put there to but, make people to what make if, the what sport prove, look respectable. What if I prove to you that um, they needed that code of conduct 
because sponsors had said to them, yeah. um, we need a wholesome image for wholesome our right. sponsorship. Yeah. But it's and, their idea of wholesome. Indeed. And they said, you know, these are le- there are some legal activities which are frowned upon. So we're prepared to pay lots of money if your players avoid some of these legal activities. I think they're entitled to say... So, so they made it. What, they, they what gave, on earth is wrong with having sex? But they gave the club a choice. They said to the club, we've got sponsorship money under this condition. You have the choice to accept it or not. Uh, look, but it you makes want people sex. to be able to take the benefits yeah, without yeah. the responsibility. It makes sex dirty again. And I thought we'd gotten away from that. We had the sexual revolution in the 1960s and 70s, for goodness sake, where people finally said, hey, Sex is okay. You know, it's not dirty as, you know, the people of our parents' generations were taught, you know. Mm. And now we're going back again. We're going back to where, uh, yeah, you know, sex is okay but but not while you're playing rugby league or not, you know, after a match. I mean, it's, it's making sex dirty again and I object. And, you know, after all, where, if they can't take them back to their hotel and they're dead keen and the girls are dead keen and the boys are dead keen, what should they do? Have sex in the back of a car? Mm. Have sex in a park? Mm. I mean, for goodness sake, that is just treating them, you know, with a lack of dignity. You know, treating the women with a lack of dignity. At least they're in a hotel room, for goodness sake. Craig, have you been swayed by any of these arguments? I, I think they're both very good arguments, um, but I just come back to that same... You prefer your own. I prefer my own, <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I, I'm really, and, and I think all this Me Too movement, not saying that, uh, you know, people, men in positions of power, you know, like Weinstein or whatever, weren't mm. creeps. He was a creep, obviously. Uh, but it seems to me that there's a bit of a, a bit of blowback, you know, and the, the, the general community has become a little nervous about, so, sexual okay. relations between colleagues okay. so, so, in the workplace. Okay, so... Um, and I don't think it's healthy. Right. Because a lot of people meet mm. their marriage or their, you mm. know, their life partner at work. That's a fact of life. Mm. And now we're being told, don't you dare ask that woman in the office or that man in the office for a date. You know, mm. that's, it's, it's really, really getting like that where people are nervous about asking somebody out for coffee mm. because it... You know, it's considered a no-no now in the workplace. You mustn't be sexual. You mustn't be a sexualized creature in the workplace anymore. You know, it's mm. it's becoming unhealthy mm. and it's unnatural. We are sexual creatures. Mm. That's my two cents. I can't see a way through it. No. <laughs> I think we need to chill a bit, you know, just really <laughs> chill Yes. On the, so, the sexualised uh, character of, our, right. of what we are. So the football club should say to sponsors, we'd love you to sponsor our team, but if our players engage in normal healthy sexual practice, uh, we're not going to um, scold them provided it's all consensual Look. and you're just going to really the club should be saying um, – we don't want your money if you're going to be so prudish. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what's driving these young men? It's testosterone. Yeah. It's the same thing that makes them damn good rugby players on the field mm. is what makes them want to go and you know, have a bit after the match, you know. Yes. And mm. it's the same, you know, I mean, we're, we're sexual creatures. We're especially, you know, young, 
you know, yeah. teenagers, early twenties. For goodness' sake, they're at their mm. peak of sexual mm. of sexual. Uh, really, what should happen is that the the fans of the club should say to the sponsors, "What the hell? He's got just normal activity." It is normal activity. We object to you being a sponsor if you're going to be so. Don't be such a prude. Yes, yes. Yeah, which we don't want any like prude that. sponsors. Which yes. gets back to, to the yes. Falau situation, yes. where and my position was that society needs to say, mm-hmm. you know, religious freedom is religious freedom. If he says wacko things, yeah. then we just we we comment on that exactly and move on exactly because um, it's got nothing to do with football. You say, so, well, so, his ideas are yeah. out of date. Mm. Uh, they don't hold up under any kind of scientific scrutiny mm. and uh, let's just ignore it. And that's what makes it a bit different in this case is that, that power difference, I believe. Yeah, yeah I'm a little bit sceptical mm. about this so-called power difference because that applies to everything. You know, I mean, literally every workplace you can say mm. somebody has more power than another, therefore don't you dare ask them out for a coffee. You know mm. what I mean? We yes. have to... Yes. At some point, that, 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 say you know, if this a is a normal a, aspect of human social activity. If you're a colleague at a university, uh, if you're a level five, you can only go, <laughs> exactly. can only go out with a yes. level five yes. colleague. Yes. You know? yes. yeah. it, it's just and becoming the a bit ridiculous. With the um, the, 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 the um, troops. Yes. Mm. Oh. Right. Okay. Well, that was good. Just have one of those thrown in at the end. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, dear listener. Well, interesting times ahead. Interesting times. Mm. Can I just bring up one yes. sort of political statement? Well, it's not yeah. a political statement. Um, I'm involved in um, Dying with Dignity Queensland uh, who support voluntary-assisted um, voluntary dying. Yes. And uh, we were having a rally outside Parliament House in Queensland. This is to do with Queenslanders in Brisbane mm. um, because... The parliamentary inquiry into voluntary assisted dying is being released, has to be released sometime. The report has to be released sometime by the 31st of, of March. So we wanted to bring it to the politicians' attention mm-hmm. that this is a thing that the grassroots people of, the, of, the, of Queensland want. Um, unfortunately, because of the coronavirus... You couldn't the, get their attention with a bazooka gun. Like, no, that's no. right. Mm. So we're going to try and have a, a, a virtual rally in a sense that a few of us will go along in case people don't get the message that it's been, it's been cancelled so that we can right. meet you Where know, meet is them. the rally? It's, out, it's at Speaker's Corner, which is at the um, QUT end of George Street. Um, okay. Yeah, people don't know much about it, but there's a great big X on the footpath there that is actually Speaker's Corner. Oh. Uh, for historic reasons. and Near um, the Parliament House? Right outside Parliament yes. House. But at, it's at the on, entrance to QT. At the entrance to QT, and it's on the footpath that's next to the Botanical Gardens. Mm, right. If, if that's people, where you probably walked over out. this big X and you haven't even noticed it. And that's where they hang out, um, handing out um, uh, Christian paraphernalia. That's and all the one. Rest of that's it. exactly. Yeah. And there are often, you know, union uh, rallies yes, and things. Yes, yes. So that's Speaker's Corner, and that's what it's for. It's for people right. to have their little their little rallies and things. We, we, we had police permits and all that yeah. other stuff. Um, but that's not going ahead. So what we're going to do is a few people will be there just to pick up stragglers who hadn't heard they were being cancelled yeah. and, and also maybe have a couple of speakers just speaking into a, a microphone but trying to keep social distancing happening in terms of... Um, the elbows. That, that's right. So And then hopefully we'll have people log in somewhere between 1 and 2 on Thursday the 19th, which is this Thursday coming, and just say, hi, you know, um, great, we support voluntary assisted dying and we would have been there or we wouldn't have been there but we still support it. Log in where? At, on our Facebook page, which is right. Dying with Dignity Queensland. Okay. 
uh, are you having a live stream or something? There'll or? be a live stream, yes. Right. Mm. Very good. Mm. So, yeah, that's just a little plug there from Very good. my mm. corner of the world. Mm. You think that Anastasia Palaszczuk doesn't really have her eye on the ball with assisted I think dying? she is um, dragging her feet. Mm. We know it's ALP policy, um, mm. state government, <coughs> excuse me, um, policy at the present time, and we know that there are quite a few ALP people who have come out, um, politicians have come out, um, MPs have come out and supported it. We know there's an awful lot who don't want to publicly come out yet but do support it, but there's also a few who don't want to. I think um, politicians are scared. They're scared about um, people like the ACL. They're yep. scared about mm. the Catholic Church in Backlash particular. from religious um, organisations. That's right. Yeah. And they don't sort of have a grasp on the numbers a little bit. They just mm. don't quite believe that there's 85% of the population support. They don't mm. quite believe that 77% of Catholics support it. Um, and many religious people, including religious organisations, actually have come out in favour of voluntary assisted dying. So mm. the support is overwhelming on the, on the grassroots level, but the politicians just can't quite believe it. Uh, mm. And I think that's because of the lobbying that's going on. So we need people to sort of just keep niggling away at their, their politicians and um, mm. um, getting the message out there. Because I think with this, what I'm worried about, this is personal, this is not from Dying with Dignity in Queensland, my personal thought is this coronavirus is going to take up politicians' time yep. and they're going to not try and address things that are difficult. Mm. Yep. It's hard to imagine. Even things like the religious discrimination bill, you can just imagine all these things just going onto the back burner. Yeah, they, or worse yeah. with religious discrimination, it'll be, uh, while the biggest crisis is going on, they'll yeah. just slip it in there. Yeah, That's true. the big worry. Yes. That's true. That's mm. potential as well. And yep. the ALP. Doing nothing about it. We'll do nothing about it. They're gutless. Mm. Right. Well, that's an episode. Very good. Thank you, um, t- um, Twelfth Man Craig. Craig. <laughs> You're most welcome. Yes. Twelfth Man, thank you as always. Always a pleasure. We'll be back next week. Bye for now. Bye, deadly fire. Now, the problem of transforming the ghetto, therefore, is a problem of power, a confrontation between the forces of power demanding change and the forces of power dedicated to the preserving of the status quo. Now, power properly understood is nothing but the ability to achieve purpose. It is the strength required to bring about social, political, and economic change. Walter Ruther defined power one day. He said, power is the ability of a labor union like UAW to make the most powerful corporation in the world, General Motors, say yes when it wants to say no. That's power. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and when you're talking to your friends say hey I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to and maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone 
and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners. And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.